everybody. My name is Shona Karp, and I am the head of news at KCL Radio and the host of this show, Red Hot, White Hot, um, in my free time. When it's not my free time, I spend my days as a master's student studying strategic communications in the War Studies Department here at King's. Um, a little bit about Red Hot, White Hot, at this, as this is our inaugural show. Red Hot, White Hot aims to entertain and educate the King's community and beyond by providing a platform for King's students and topic experts to share information and opinion on thematics inspired by world events and King's events if they come up. Some of the upcoming thematics are China, Corona response, and the public health, the future of the British left, and the Middle East, or the future of the British left, the Middle East, and much more. Why Red Hot, White Hot, you may ask? And why is it not a show about the ups and downs of dating or science experiments, as the name may evoke? Well, as metal heats, it turns red. When it gets to a higher temperature, it turns white. People do the same thing when they're speaking about something that they care about. Cue the gif of someone with red, uh, going red with steam coming out of their ears. <laughs> we here at Red Hot White Hot want to hear what you have to say and what you're passionate about, and provide. A, um, we want to provide a platform to share uh, for you to share your thoughts, to be uh, be what they are, um, and this is the show for it. So today we are here to talk about the. Never-ending topic of Brexit, <laughs> um, and I am here with my guests Claire Ruiz, who's a master's student in the King's um, War Studies Department, studying international peace and security, and Dr. Alan Wager, 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 <laughs> Wager, who's a research associate at the UK in a Changing Europe Initiative at King's College London and a teaching fellow in politics for um, teaching Brexit at LSE. Um, He's appeared regularly on international media, uh, including to discuss Brexit and British politics, including Sky News, BBC News, Al Jazeera, RTE, The Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, the list goes on. Um, and previously, Alan was a bi-fellow at Churchill College, Cambridge, and taught British politics at Queen Mary. So yeah. thank you. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys? I'm good. Good. Um, okay, so... How I've structured the show is I'm going to start every show with a little synopsis of the topic du jour. And Alan, you may need to correct me on something <laughs> if I get it wrong. Okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. Okay, great. So I'm going to hand one of you a timer for a minute, and I am going to run through this, um, and hopefully I make it to a minute. <laughs> <laughs> minute, minute and a half, two minutes, you pick, <laughs> if I make it through, but I'm going to try to do it quickly. Okay, I'll keep an eye on Okay, ready? Brexit. Okay, go. After two failed attempts to enter the EU, uh, on the 1st of January 1973, the United Kingdom ascended to the European Committee um, that was founded in the 1950s. But the UK was only really there to be part of, at, to be a person at the table and also uh, to be part of the security and defense policy. Having formally opted out of Schengen, the Economic and Monetary Union, Area of Freedom, Security and Peace, policy and the Charter for Fundamental Rights. Uh, the, Eurostern was, the Eurozone was established on the 1st of January 1999, uh, and the UK opted out. Fast forward. On the 20th of February 2016, after negotiating a special relationship deal for Britain with the EU, Prime Minister David Cameron called a referendum on Britain's uh, membership to the EU that would be held on June 23rd. June 23rd happened. The results came out. The referendum. 51.9 for leave, 48.1 remain. Cameron resigned the next day. 
Theresa May became prime minister on the 15th of July. I've already reached one minute, so here we go. <laughs> the 15th of the July. On the 29th of uh, March 2017, the UK invoked Article 50 of the Treaty of the European Union, which began its resignation from the European Union. Prime Minister May announced a snap election in April. She loses her majority in the House and in the Commons on June 6th. Uh, UK EU negotiations begin formally on June 19th. On November 14th, 2018, Prime Minister, um, the Prime, Prime Minister May and the EU publish a first withdrawal agreement and endorse, uh, that's endorsed by the EU on November 25th. It fails to pass the meaningful vote twice, uh, once in February and then in March of 2019. May asks and receives an extension that she gets for Halloween of last year. A European election is held on May 23rd and the Brexit party sweeps the British seats in the European Union um, and May resigns the next day. Boris Johnson becomes prime minister. <laughs> I've reached two minutes, so whatever. <laughs> uh, Boris Johnson becomes prime minister on uh, July 24th of last year. Uh, the EU agrees to another extension till January 31st of 2020. Boris Johnson calls a snap election that happens on December 12th, which he wins by a landslide, securing the majority he needs in the House of Commons to pass Brexit. It goes through on February 27th, which was last week. The uh, UK published its future relationship with the EU plan. And I think that gets us to now. <laughs> OK, two wow. minutes, 30 Okay, well, I thought you were going to do the last four years in one minute. So you did forty-seven years, I think, <laughs> in two minutes. So I don't think I don't think that's I don't think that's too bad. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank okay. you. Okay. Um, right. So I'm glad I hope that went well. Now I guess we should get to the real deal of the conversation. So I just wanted to start out with probably the stickiest topic for students here at Kings, as well as um, Brit British and EU citizens, which is that European British citizens are on on both sides of the channel are uncertain about what's to come. The Prime Minister's cabinet has introduced a new immigration plan in addition to Brexit uncertainty. What does this mean for students like Claire, who is European, I don't know if you've told from her <laughs> French accent, um, and British and EU citizens? Um, first of all, Claire, how are you feeling? What are your concerns? Okay, so my main concern is knowing what's happening, where we're going. Honestly, it's been uh, what three and a half, four years of process, and like many Europeans and I think many British citizens, I'm just glad we're finally seeing the end of the tunnel. So I'm looking forward to at least knowing whatever the result, knowing what's going on, knowing which papers to ask, maybe visas, maybe not. Uh, so in terms of as a stu EU student in the UK, I'm looking at how my study will be affected, whether I will need maybe a visa, whether I can travel, health insurance, uh, if that they stay within the EU system or not. Maybe if I want to work, do I need a permit for that? If I want to do an internship this summer or uh, do another year of master next year? So those are the questions I'm looking at and they'll probably weigh into my decision of where do I go next year? Yeah, well, I guess that's a really important thing. Is it is it is these these decisions on immigration do determine whether or not people want to come to the UK and want to stay in the UK after? So since the referendum, the number of people like Claire that have been there in the UK from the European Union has already pretty much pretty much halved already. So a lot of that's to do with the amount of people that want to come to the UK or want to stay in the UK as a result of of Brexit. So but. But now we've got the situation where we know we've left, we've left the European Union, we know what the immigration system is going to be like. It's going to make it harder for 
people to 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 live in the UK if you're from the European Union. That's pretty that's pretty simple because you'll need, as you say, all these things you're talking mm. about. Uh, you'll need sort of proof that you are able to be employed by an employer over a certain amount that's probably a much higher than the the average you know wage for for a graduate you know in the UK. So it's it, it's increasingly more difficult to work out. To, to, to become a to become a, a, a working citizen in, in in the UK, one thing that is that is true though is 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 that no country has ever attempted to go from a system of free movement like we've got at the moment uh, to, for the next sort of ten months to one that is restricting and has these sort of uh, points based arrangements if you like. Uh, so so we've got a, we've got a, a country that's really really reliant upon certain people from. You know, from from sort of from Europe, for example, to in agriculture industries or hospitality industries that aren't included in the plan they've got at the moment, and it might just end up being that the system that they've come up with doesn't work. And I think that we so while there's a huge amount of uncertainty, a huge amount of certainty now, we know we're leaving, we know we're going to have a new system. I think the government is aware that it could all go really badly wrong in uh, you know nine months' time when they try and make it work and try and enforce this this sort of points-based system. So it's good in theory. It sounds like we know what we're doing, but I think we have no idea whether it will work. Yeah, I agree. I think that uncertainty is one of the key issues because no one has attempted to leave the EU. Oh, it's always about joining, never leaving. Mm. And it's setting a precedent in a time that there's already a lot of uncertainty everywhere and even in Europe. Mm. So it's scared that it's uh, an additional issue we would rather not be dealing with. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Yeah, it's not just immigration, but everything. There, there, no, no country in the history of the world, you know, ever has gone into a, a trade negotiations trying to, uh, you know, decrease the amount of trade between yeah. between a block and a country or between two countries. This is a new mm. thing that we don't actually know how it'll work, and that and that affects immigration. That affects people because there's loads of people that live here that are operating in a more liberal system, and it also affects, you know. How you know car, car manufacturers or whatever that have these sort of complicated supply chains already here? Right. So, so I mean, it's quite it's different to sort of think in the future how we can build more links with other countries, but trying to delete the links and that's what that's why it's an emotional thing and that's about immigration, it's about trade, right. it's about the, the movement economy. of people and goods. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think the free. Oh, sorry. I think free movement of people and goods is actually the most. Uh, in many ways, the most. Um, uh, um, Emotional aspect, that free movement of people is the most emotional aspect of, of, of Brexit and about the referendum and so on. I, I would agree. Because that's, like, for me, that's one of the core tenets of the European Union is being able to move. Like, in my case, it's being able to cross borders without even seeing the borders, just being like, oh, wait, I'm in Belgium now or I'm in the Netherlands now without even knowing. So that is something that I guess people are attached to and will miss to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? It will look like, like <laughs> <laughs> the UK or, or, or Brexit or I mean, yeah, I mean or... in this in this specific for this specific question, we can go to goods maybe later. But as far as like people, mm. what do you think it'll look like? Well, basically, yes, yeah, so you've got this system that so the, the 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 UK government came out with this system of if you want to be a European Union, if you're from the European Union or if you're from any other country in the whole world, you need to get a certain number of points. To be able to live and work and get British citizenship and so on, you need 70 points. And they deliberately made it 70 points as opposed to one to seven, because they're aware that, and you get, so basically you get 20 points if you've got a job, 20 points if you speak English, and it adds up to 70. But it could have been one to seven, but because they know 
that they don't actually know what the hiccups will be. You might need to add five points for something else, five points if you want to work as a, you know, as in the care sector, if we end up having no one to sort of look after the old people or whatever. So, so they, they have, they, they've inbuilt a huge amount of uncertainty into the system so they can adapt to it because they have no idea what it will look like. And I think, I think what we look, what we know for sure is that there will probably be fewer, uh, um, uh, EU immigrants in the UK. But actually, we don't. We have no idea whether that that will be that whether because we've got almost full employment in the UK now, whether or not that shortfall will be met by people from outside the European Union or not. I mean, we have seen, you know, a half halving of the number of people from the EU coming to the UK, and actually a doubling of the number of people from outside the EU since the referendum. So that's so yeah, interesting. You, yeah, it's sort of like a seesaw because actually mm-hmm. we need all these people exactly. to, for the functioning of the UK economy. So it's. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. So I don't really know what it will look like, but I imagine I, I imagine um, that the the you know imagine the UK economy won't look that di- won't look that different. I mean, I think the effects are more for you know rights based and for what people will be able to do and in the future if you're an EU si- if you're a UK citizen or if you're an EU citizen in terms of free movement and so on. Yeah, and then there's also I suppose that philosophical question about quantifying a human in a point system. Yeah. I know there's the same type of like uh black mirian (laughs) concept that exists in in china for their citizens so Mm. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um but it's um sorry it's uh you know it's it's ironic that it's sort of people on the right of of politics that are more in favor of you know points-based immigration citizens picking winners if you like in an economy given that they are against uh, or that you know the, the you know the philosophy of uh, of sort of picking winners in, in in sort of industries and so on and, and governments deciding to give money to an ex ex business or an ex sector of the economy they believe in the free hand of of capitalism right? right but yet when it comes to people they think we can choose this person because they will be able to contribute X to the economy in a decade's time so it's a sort of it is and as you say it is a sort of it's, it's conflicts ideologically, if you yeah. But I think that might have to do with the whole reasoning behind Brexit. It was, we're have, uh, people would say, there's <laughs> some people coming in which we would rather not have. And that point system allows you to say, well, if you don't speak English, then mm, no, you can't come. Or if you don't have the proper job, it's one way to set up those barriers with that point system and mm-hmm. kind of choosing your immigrants, the one you like, the one you think will be useful. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, you kind of, Make it sort of not a merit base, but you have to fight and work for getting into the UK. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. I guess no country wants complete free movement for everyone, and that's mm. not really a practical thing at the you know at the moment. You know, I mean, in the future, it's. Part, I mean, I guess it's you know then we're getting into the real realms of sort of uh, political philosophy, whether that's sort of attainable or achievable or desirable thing. But in practically, that's not possible. So yeah, I guess you have to have some way of working out. Mm. Who shouldn't, shouldn't who shouldn't shouldn't be in the UK? That's I guess that's, yeah. that's we like political philosophy. We can go. <laughs> Great. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out going forward mm. and the further agreements they have coming down the pipeline mm. with these negotiations. So obviously, tension. Let's talk about the material goods. Tension is incredibly high in regards to the upcoming trade deal. Um, there's even talk of calling in the Royal Navy to protect British waters from European fishing boats after Brexit. Um, this is clearly uncharted waters. Uh, how concerned should we be? What 
does this look like? I know it's such a hard and dynamic question because trade obviously deals with everything. And then we can later I have a question about the Irish backstop, which is a whole nother ball game. <laughs> but this, I just, I'm so yeah. curious to see. I, we talk about Brexit every day. I don't yes. think I have a meal in which we Brexit doesn't come up. <laughs> Um, yeah. It will still come up as much as it used to. Because, you, you know, government is being banned. You can't say... <laughs> really? Yeah, What's the terminology yeah. now? We meant, you're meant to say, you know, because Brexit is meant to be a, a, a sort of a historical event that's already happened. Right, We're yeah. We're not meant to be sort of, uh, you know, you know, um, legislating on something that's, that's already already taken place. You'll be talking about the future, blah, blah, blah. Let's try and move on from the divisions of Brexit or whatever. So it's a sort of political strategy thing for, for Boris Johnson, not to, not to mention the, the B word, right? I think that's smart because people are getting honestly tired. When it's brought up in class, you always get that side of like, Brexit, again, please, no. So that's why I think we want to move on. But in terms of trade, like the fishery example is very key. I was listening to uh, the French Minister for Europe and she was clear on saying that that might be one of the issues that would break down negotiations if there's an issue around that. Uh, because for France especially, it's very important. It's like 30% of our fish industry comes from uh, fishing in UK waters. And, well, bringing the UK Navy, uh, the Royal Navy seems a bit over the top. <laughs> in my eyes, I don't know, maybe. for others, maybe a tiny bit. But I think it was hyperbole. <laughs> but that idea is so very much it. Like, it's sovereignty over your territory, over your waters. Absolutely. Even if that means going in full mm-hmm. confrontation with the other side. It speaks to the, I mean, so it speaks to the fact as, as you said, the you know the the referendum was about all these ideas of national sovereignty and so on. You know, the fishing the fishing industry you know only employs uh, twelve thousand people. Oh wow! Which is sort of uh, and it's a really 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 small mm-hmm. industry in the UK and isn't even that big elsewhere. You know, so, no, yeah. it's so so it, it, but it's a symbolic uh, industry, right? And it's and it's and it's about you know the idea of. Uh, again, of sort of you know the idea that we are an island that has control mm-hmm. over a certain section of you know land right. or, or sea within the world, right? So it's a big, it's a big symbolic thing. It's got no, uh, it's, it's got no uh, economic rationality behind it at all. If actually, if the if the economy had no no fishermen uh, in it at all, then no one would really notice, right? It didn't actually matter at all to apart from to a few small communities around the UK. It doesn't really affect. Uh, I don't know. Scottish salmon is delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, 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 but, but the fact that the negotiations could end up right. stalling on this shows that the, these negotiations aren't necessarily about economic rationality. Right. They're about something else. They're about you know a sense of national identity and and so on. And whether or not the fishing, so the fishing is going to be one of the first things that's discussed in the trade talks mm-hmm. this year. Uh, and there's only nine months to complete them and so on. Yeah. You know, if there's going to be a deal, fishing is the first thing that's going to be discussed, and it's going to be interesting to see whether the people involved have any interest in coming to a deal or not, or whether they want to actually speak to those sort of more symbolic political right. ideas. Yeah, it might actually not be in people's interest to 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 um, you know, the UK would basically have to, you know, uh, do uh, reach to reach a deal. The UK will have to um, betray what the British fishermen thought they were going to get. That's the only way they're going to get a deal. So whether or not the UK government's really prepared to do that in the name of trying to get a trade deal is is not clear. That's such a tough needle to thread because obviously these are the voters who brought the current um, prime minister into number 10 and to be able to navigate 
the case, of the yeah. trade deal in addition to the political ideologies and the emotional aspect of this ancient craft, just as a single point of this trade deal. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. I'm just, what would a no-deal scenario look like? Well, we're now, now we're in a situation, say, so we've been, you know, UK and Treasury have been warning about what a no-deal would mean for sort of years now. You know, it's, we're now at a situation, though, where because what the government is aiming for is actually such a distant relationship with the European Union compared to the one we have now, then actually there's, there's a lot less of a distance between no deal and what we're going for than, than there was economically, just in terms of the fact that we're not going to be members of the customs union or the single market. We're not going to be aiming for any sort of uh, alignment over regulations and so on. Uh, so, I mean, in a, se- in a sense, uh, you know, no deal is going to be really bad for the economy, uh, but also the trade deal that Boris Johnson comes up with, even if he got everything that he's aiming for, would be really bad for the economy as well. So it's sort of, it's a bit of a weird one. I mean, so but but some of, but if you have a no deal now, there would be some more of these sort of short term uh, disruptions to trade when people when there was no way of people to get across borders to sort of um, to sort of go. You know, lorries lorries wouldn't right. have the ability to to get to and from France and so on. It'd be, it would be it would be it would be very difficult. But there's going to be some short term problems even with the deal in terms of managing new paperwork and stuff like. That. So. So basically, we're in a situation where whatever happens come January next year is going to be a bit messy for the UK economy. But the possibility of the sort of effects of No Deal, you know, that's still, that's really that's looking like really likely at the moment. I think because of all the as you saw, the political. Effect. Yeah, I think it might also be like the economic consequences might be the same regardless of Deal No Deal. But I think what will change a lot is in terms of rhetoric and in terms of like yeah. symbolism. Because what I fear is that everyone gets involved and you try to play for your voters, so play the uh, protecting the fishermen to get elected. In France, we have elections coming up. And that that will just make the debate so nasty, like it's been for the last three and a half years, and just make it longer. Yeah, mm-hmm. it becomes all, it becomes a political game instead of what it should be, which is protecting the citizens, both yeah. in the UK and in the EU, at the end of it. Yeah. The EU is for its citizens, so you should have their interests at heart. And I feel that if it comes to that nasty political game, citizens will just be left uh, on the side of the road. Yeah, I mean, it's true that sometimes, you know, that sometimes the EU pretends it's less political than actually it is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it, it tries to combine, uh, you know, its its aims as an actor, but also with a whole bunch of, with a whole bunch of politics and and so on. It's prioritising fishing or you know the island of Gibraltar for Spain because it, every nation state has twenty seven different nation states have have the, have their own politics too. Yeah. But I mean, I I, I, I I guess the No Deal thing and actually not coming to an agreement and 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 saying to the saying that to to the people in the UK this is all the fault of the European Union could be a really good play for Boris Johnson and so. I mean, it actually makes more sense for him politically, maybe, to to not have any deal because it means that he can blame the disruption, which will be inevitable anyway, yeah. on the on on the European Union instead of instead of taking responsibility. So I think that's 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 what what's what's what the, the sort of political calculations but are going to be going on. How would that look on the long term? Because let's say there's no deal, then uh, I would assume that you would need some sort of cool down period before you can have proper negotiations on a future. So how? Does the UK EU relationship work, or the UK on its own, if it's it has to work for let's say a few months or maybe a year, year and a half without any connections with the EU because it has become such a toxic 
complicated issue that no one wants to just touch that. I think, that, I mean, I think there'd be, there'd be a, a, a series of things and... And the basic thing is because because trade is, is is generally conducted in terms of if you're the larger block you are, the more power you are, mm-hmm. the more power you are have to not only advance your your rational economic interests but also to advance your own political uh, causes. So you see, same with like the farmers in America and so mm-hmm. on. You know, trade, you know, so I think I think the, I think there would be a a, um, a period where it, there was sort of chaos, but then you'd have gradual developments of small sectoral arrangements with the European Union that would be pursued on the EU's terms on the basis that the EU will want to to make an agreement with the UK on this first so they'll be able to prioritize the 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 way that negotiations on these sort of sectoral by sectoral things went I mean so, that, so that's sort of the trade aspect to it but also there's what there's a more sort of I guess more fundamental I guess geostrategic yeah. mm-hmm. thing about all this yeah. right because I mean if the UK leaves the European Union on the basis that it's now defining itself against the European Union and a huge amount of acrimony, I mean that's a that's quite a big deal for the European Union as well as for the UK. That's quite a big deal for the future of of, of interests, shared interests that, mm-hmm. that the UK has with the European Union. I think I think people in I think I think I think in trying to tie together a trade deal and say if we don't reach a good deal on trade, we're not going to have a deal on anything else, which what both parties are now saying. Yeah, it's not as you said. It's not really very beneficial to the long-term interests of yeah. people in the UK or the EU. But yeah, that's it, yeah. it. Feels impossible that type of scenario. Like there's 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 no way. Like right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think. I, yeah. I think at this point, passions have been so strong and so right. involved that it cannot end well. Right. Like, this is the divorce that has been going on. Everyone's fighting for the house, the kids, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it cannot end well. And so we'll just have to try to make it work in the way that it's the least worse. Right. Which is a terrible position to be in. But I think we have to be, like, try to remain calm during this period of negotiations. Try to be rational, reasonable. And hope for the best, yeah. I feel like. <laughs> which, is, which is very sad to me that that's the only thing we can hope for it's been so just destructive that now you have to just fingers crossed let's hope it goes well sort of yeah yeah we can we can we can, we can I guess we can hope it goes well but I mean it's, you know, it's, 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 it's possible it'll, it, it, it will be I mean I, I, I guess I guess for for most people I mean these things are these things are damaging to the UK and the European Union's relationship in the long term or whatever. But, you know, even if there's a no deal, people will still be able to come and study at King's yeah. if you're a European person. You know, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that things will be, you know, awful. And actually, mm-hmm. and actually there was a trade deal that, you know, did have things on sort of things like citizens' rights, which would have been really damaging if people, if three million people were like, and, and they, they didn't have that, you know, the right to, to, to live in the UK as well. So the, the, the uncertainty on some aspects was was solved, you know, on the issue of um, the Irish border, which I think we're going to talk about in a bit. Yeah. That was resolved, yeah. and that was going to be one of the big things about No Deal. So it's more about the economic hit, right? Yeah. So, that, you know, and, and, you know, so I think I think people will, you shouldn't, you shouldn't sort of over, over-hype these things. And maybe it will, it, will, it will sort of occur in the context of a global recession that's going to take place Anyway, because of the coronavirus, coronavirus right? Yes, I mean, yes. so and actually, you know, maybe the effect of of Brexit will be quite a lot smaller than the effect of the coronavirus. So everyone will be like, oh, okay, well, our economy is even worse. I mean, you know, so maybe it will just be all sort of, you know, we we'll have to 
I mean, maybe, maybe it'll, you know. Yeah. Who knows? Of, well, yeah. the pound is like falling a bit recently. So as a European, I'm like, yes, <laughs> I can buy more. Great. <laughs> so that might be some sort of benefit in the long term. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I think it's. I think it's. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be difficult. But I mean, yeah. I guess. I guess you need to detach. Um, again, thinking philosophically. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Detach what the gov- what governments and individual countries are doing with 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 what individuals how individual citizens are. Baby, mm-hmm. you should never um, define yourself by the the actions of uh, you know whether it's minority minority or majority in your country or whatever or a government or whatever. I mean, um, but I guess that's the yeah. I guess that's, that's the point. Yeah. Since we have a Brexit expert in the room, or not. We're not allowed to use the B word anymore. Uh, <laughs> transition expert. Transition deal yeah. expert in the room. Um, what would be the ideal scenario? Like, what would be your... How would it look for, like, within this time frame, a goodish outcome? What would it... What would it, what would it look like? Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean... I mean, I guess, I guess the, the the optimum outcome for 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 the UK and for the European Union um, is is coming to uh, a situation where there's less antagonism between the governing governing the governments of, of the European Union and, and and the governments of the UK and getting come to a situation where uh, you know, as Claire said at the start, there's there's just there's just uh, more certainty around what around what around what happens next and and as you said a, a, a limitation of uh, the economic uh, damage and so on. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think a situation where um, uh, I think the, po- the the possibility of of, of in future uh, uh, the UK managing to uh, forge a closer relationship with the European Union that's than that's going to be agreed by Boris Johnson is something that would be good. I mean, the the opportunity of potentially in the long term. Um, Coming to a relationship with the with the EU that looks a lot more like um, a closer relationship uh, would be, I mean that's that's probably the best outcome I think. I think that's so. I think I think leaving the European Union out but in ultimately was potentially you know was the necessary uh, uh, thing to do after the referendum. Right. But I think, but I think, I think, we, I think as we sort of described, we've lost all sort of sense of economic uh, and political proportion about it, yeah. and maybe trying to restore that in the future. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think the more, in some senses, perhaps the the starker the form of Brexit we have this time next year, the more the opportunity will will come for people that argue for uh, something that protects more people's jobs in the long term will win. So actually, maybe there'll be some short the short term the short term effects of uh, of a sort of WTO no deal sort of type scenario could actually mean in the long term you have a situation where people that are advocating the UK being back in sort of some sort of customs union or having things returned to sort of something like single market membership maybe that's the best that's the optimum outcome Brexit happening but also uh, protecting as many jobs in the future as possible I think probably the best is what I'd say would be the best outcome but would you then see maybe something like Switzerland in the sense that they have 
basically one agreement for every field or more Norway-like situation where there's some uh, common ground uh, costume unions or the single market but not everything yeah or just a completely new model that we haven't had yet well I mean so yeah it's probably something between sort of Switzerland and, uh, and Norway something that hopefully was a bit closer to the to the to the to the EU economically uh, economically than, than, than Switzerland but gave the UK a bit more autonomy than the Norway had would be the optimum outcome. I mean, mm-hmm. we're nowhere near that because of the way that the, the negotiations have gone. I mean, and if, if someone else, if a, different go- if, if a different government had been in charge of negotiations, it's possible that would have been the case. If people that were in favour of remaining in the European Union had, and I'm not saying this was right or the wrong thing to do, but had accepted the result immediately and campaigned for a softer Brexit outcome, then potentially would have had a majority of people in the UK that would... That we're able to sort of push through something that looked more like Switzerland or, or if Norway. May or first. Yeah, yeah. So if well, no. Well, I, well, the, I think I don't think May's um, Brexit deal was ever that actually that close to being mm-hmm. in the Europe. It wasn't. It, it, you know, it was actually a relatively um, hard form of Brexit compared to what people were talking about in the immediate aftermath of the referendum. So, in that you know, in that sense, it, you know, maybe. Yeah, I think people. I think people could have could have could have could have won something and probably closer to the European Union than that if they'd gone out and campaigned for it from the start. But that's not what happened. I mean, right. the emotions were high. Yeah, and, and, and remaining wasn't wasn't a, you know remaining was in a sense a sort of zero sum game. Right. We either we either mm-hmm. left or we didn't. Right. And, and 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 it's really understand it's really understandable for people that want to remain didn't they didn't give up straight away and they tried to do everything they could to to reverse the result. I think that's completely understandable, but. I mean, I guess historians in retrospect might look at it and think that was a pretty stupid idea. They should have tried to, uh, you know, to sort of roll with the punches, accept that that result and tried to win the next fight. Right. Instead, they tried to, to win the fight they just lost, which was, you know, actually emo- emotionally understandable, but uh, uh, but maybe not ultimately the, the best out, the best idea. Mm, yes, yeah. the joy of hindsight. Yeah, yeah right, right. Totally. <laughs> but I guess let's go on to the Irish backstop now, which is... Obviously, a lot has been determined about it, but there's also the added new dilemma of Sinn Féin's recent successes in um, the Republic of Ireland's elections. Mm -hmm. So, what? uh, Tell me a little bit about it, the Irish backstop, a little about the deal. (laughs) Tell the people. Okay, so as far as I'm aware, and you'll probably be okay. able to <laughs> go deeper into that because I'm not the expert. But as far as I know, so we would have the main issue is not having any hard border on the Isle of the island of Ireland. So Northern Ireland with the Irish Protocol would be on uh, within UK customs territory, but have to follow EU custom law, which I read and it was like, this sounds strange. So it sort of stay within the EU single market for goods at least. And then uh, that means that uh, goods coming in from Northern Ireland would have a tariff on when crossing into the UK, well, in the rest of the UK, but that they could get a rebate on that tariff, which... Yeah. I read and I found a, a weird sort of solution, but it seems that that is what they're going on uh, yeah. for the moment. So it was the sort of similar solutions that we're coming up with to try and um, for the whole of the UK originally, way in the, you know three years ago when they had the sort of when Theresa May first came up with a plan, and it was that was uh, that wasn't agreed with by the European Union because they were like, we're not going to let you. 
uh, managed our border. You know, certain it was an X Y Z. It was seen as it was seen as it was seen as a, a, an impossible thing for the UK to to have as a whole. But they think it's possible to contain that within the island of Ireland and have a situation where basically the border is managed not just by the European Union but by the UK and Northern Ireland basically remains in mm. the EU's customs union uh, and also remains in theory within the European within the UK and within the rules of the UK. So it's sort of a it's sort of a sort of ingenious way of trying to merge two different a um, sort of hybrid hybrid way way of doing it. Ultimately it means that you have to have the border uh, in the sea. Yeah. which is less contentious than having it on the land between people's Do you think this yeah. will mitigate possible future um, tension between the... Well, no. Uh, well, I think I think the tension has been... Um, um, Delayed, yeah. but I think if you, I think I think the the ultimate repercussion of a of a situation where the border is on the island on the in in the middle of the Irish Sea, is that over time, mm-hmm. as the European Union and as the UK uh, UK's economic rules and interests uh, and uh, and models sort of diverge, then the Europe then 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 Northern Ireland will have to look more and more like Ireland, mm-hmm. and less and less like the rest of the UK, and and I think I think I think. Uh, the, the, ultimately, it's it's becoming increasingly likely that that will lead to some sort of pole uh, in terms of uniting Ireland, North and South. That's what you saw with me. It's the same thing. It's usually popular in the South of Ireland, and it's increasingly popular in Northern Ireland. The idea of a sort of border pole to unite Ireland, right? right. And that would that would lead probably uh, to a whole load of of, of of tension. So it sort of it sort of changed the the picture but it didn't change the fact that there's underlying the underlying tensions that exist on in Ireland on, on the, that have been caused well not been caused by Brexit but you know heightened heightened yeah yeah and sort of reawakened in yeah, some senses often absolutely. by the issue by, by the issue of Brexit but uh, yeah so at least it seems now that this is not the main issue because when May was discussing it and a bit earlier and after it seemed that the Irish backstop was the issue everyone was disagreeing on and now it seems like they do have some sort of agreement that they can work from. So if you follow, at least what I saw when following this news, Northern Ireland isn't that preeminent anymore. Or at least mm. it's not, It's now it's fisheries rather than Northern Ireland. It seems like the focus has shifted to some extent. So that gives a bit of hope in terms of that that issue being just more quiet. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Ireland is going to be Ireland. Ireland the, the whole reason part of resolving that the, the Irish issue as as part of the divorce, if you like, was that it was such a an important subject that it needed to be resolved uh, um, first. And I think, in some senses, it has been resolved. So you saw in this Irish election, um, and in the British election in December. Yeah, yeah. Well, in a sense, in a sense, the so you had a situation where say Sinn Fein won the election. Right. It was sort of the you know the. Um, uh, you know they were the political wing of the of the of the IRA, right? And they and they are in favour of an Irish unification border poll as soon as possible. I mean, the fact that that happened the month after the the UK left the European uh, Union is kind of incidental because the reasons for Sinn Fein um, doing so well in the election were to do with the Irish economy and people wanting a more left wing economy. But it does it does it does change again. It does it does change again the relations between Ireland and and the UK you now. Is likely we're going to be in the government, and they're now they're now risen massively in the polls since the election. A party that is that, that was born due to its fundamental opposition to the UK, and that's a new. And this is this is a new a new dynamic in Irish UK relationship that is um, 
that's going to have some serious like long-term effects because it's pretty you know, extraordinary development of situation the situation if you told people uh 10 years ago that there would be you know board and you know a, a, another referendum in scotland is likely as well it's likely when you know the european union is going to the UK is going to has left the European Union and is going to probably break apart itself. I mean, that would be a that'd be a pretty extraordinary thing for people to say, and it's it's, it's become an increasing reality that that, that the UK the UK, which is sort of a collection of countries, should could soon just be sort of England and, and maybe Wales. You know, so it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, really, really, really interesting, and that brings me to my last question, which is just on a domestic level. So we are finally in the process of getting Brexit done, which I must admit is a brilliant campaign slogan, <laughs> simple, efficient, but um, the country still feels very divided. The, the ideological tensions are still very high. It, there are so many old and new developments that are emotionally and ideologically and philosophically like, in arising yeah. um yeah. what where does brexit put us like how do we come back together like is there a site that like that a remainder and a, a lever no longer hold those um labels like yeah yeah, well, it'll be interesting. Yeah, whether yeah, it's just whether the labels will still exist is yeah. is, is interesting in and of itself. But I guess I guess you have to. I guess, it's probably slightly reductionist to say that Leave and Remain began with Brexit. Right. You know, Leave and Remain. The Leave and Remain divide was in many ways a symptom or exposed something that was that had existed for a long time, which is a division between people that are uh, that feel sort of. Uh, like they've been left behind by globalisation and are more socially conservative, uh, and a set of voters that that, that feels the complete opposite and does and wants to be part of the European Union and and feels uh, you know sort of an emotional case for for modernised like you know for a modern society and that that divide will continue to exist uh, and this sort of cultural divide whether whether or not whether or not politics continues to cleave on this issue of social values. Is, is is really is is really crucial. I mean, the 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 government um, is is probably in the Conservative Party's interests to uh, retain that to retain that that as the fundamental divide because mm-hmm. it's much harder for people if you're socially liberal to win elections because people in uh, people that are socially liberal are more likely to uh, to to live in in, in a set, certain number of constituencies, mainly in cities, whereas people that are socially conservative are much more um, disparate. And and it's and it's a sort of a sort of a an, in, an inbuilt advantage, particularly in like political systems like ours, for socially conservative voters for the Conservative Party, right. and, and it's whether or not they can do something else that isn't Brexit to try and uh, tap into that uh, that same sort of divide, whether it's sort of you know trans rights, whether it's the environment, or whether it's whatever, whether they can sort of try and um, yeah try and reinforce this this social politics social identity division. I think that's. That's what might happen next. Yeah, and I think it might have served as a sort of test of patriotism or nationalism in terms of do you prefer the UK, your country, or being part of an entity that within which your country is just a small piece? And in that sense, it makes sense to keep that divide of did you vote for or against, where you're for your country or for someone else's. And mm-hmm. that would, 
in terms of a, a narrative of a conservative narrative, it makes sense to keep it. But also I was wondering that kind of trend of going away from globalization, of trying to go back to smaller scale, bring back the rural areas, that seems to be a general trend worldwide. There's a lot of countries where politicians are calling for that, for uh, taking your country back or going back to your roots. Or, and it feels like Brexit might have been a very specific and very strong show of that trend. But that yeah. may be just a, a more general swing of the pendulum. Like we went for globalization and now we're, we're going back. At least to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah, but again, again, then I guess the question is how far the pendulum goes in the other direction. Right. I mean, Trump and Brexit probably feel like pretty extreme manifestations of that mm-hmm. pendulum swing, right? I, I mean, I think, I think, um, yeah. So it's possible, and, and it says, I guess it's, it's I, I guess we're in, we're in the process. Um, so, for example, if you look at the UK and, and, the, and the US, I mean, if you talk about the politics of the UK and the US. Um, the Labour Party in the UK and the Democratic Party in the US in the US are, are, are think that probably a lot of voters want to just stop this this the, the way the pendulum is swinging where it yeah. is and just sort of and sort of have a return to normality and sort mm-hmm. of stop this sort of movement towards something else and that's why maybe Keir Starmer and and Joe Biden have that's what they the characters they both share the sort of sense that. They are both a return to maybe a, a form of politics that existed sort of 15, 20 years ago, as opposed to uh, other candidates like Jeremy Corbyn or like you know Bernie Sanders, who are maybe sort of saying, okay, well, if you're going to swing the pendulum, we're going to swing it the complete other way, and maybe that, that's and that's the big um, sort of question now is whether whether it looks like we're going to have now a situation where the moderates or the, or the people that argue that we should try and uh, you know stop. Uh, you know uh, 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 the, the the movement towards a sort of more nativist politics are going to try and do it through um, through a sort of through a sort of moderate sort of uh, politics. Whether that's going to win or not, whether that's going to be possible, that's the big sort of big question, I guess, in in in, in global politics at the moment is whether that's the way of winning. Right. Yeah, there seems to be that that desire for a return to like normal situations, to like quieter times, more less passionate times, I guess, and Brexit or. Uh, the situation in the U.S. is seen as this heightened, a uh, very passionate time, and people might just be tired. And it's that but, those yeah. moderate kind of appeal to that kind of constituency. That was, that was also what Macron was, because the other day he was talking yes. about 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 change and changing the party system. He was he was talking about changing the party system within the existing institutions right. of French mm-hmm. politics and maintaining the existing institutions of French politics. And the alternative to him was something that got rid of the institutions of French politics. Mm-hmm. And you voted for him, you can sort of end the decay and end, end that swing back and sort of start rebuilding. Uh, mm. and, and, the, and the question is, in, in France, is whether or not he is, whether or Macron is going to be the sort of, uh, is going is to have the ability to do that, whether he'll just be the very last politician that before before Le Pen and before, uh, uh, whether whether or not his attempt to sort of freeze that swing mm-hmm. pendulum, if you like, was successful or not. Or, so we're going to see probably in France uh, as well, yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, really interesting times. <laughs> yeah, maybe live in interesting times. So. That is for sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So yeah, thank you guys so much for coming for the first show. I really appreciate it. It's really nice. It's really fun. interesting. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add or plug? Or... <laughs> uh, go to the UK and Change of Europe website if you want to find out all about Brexit relations. Uh, yes. Cool. UK at EU dot AC dot UK. 
And uh, I guess be sure to follow the following up episodes of the show. It's probably going to be fun as well. Appreciate it. Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> yeah. Also, special thanks to my producer, Clemence, and um, the amazing Nick Clark, who is re- helping us record right now. <laughs> um, see you at the next show. Bye.